Michaels, we stand. Lord, we're just so grateful to be in your presence this morning. 
through everything that's going on through the world, you are faithful, you are victorious. We just want to press into you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.
risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Almighty God, you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Jesus said, the first commandment is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these.
O God, whose Son, Jesus, is the good shepherd of your people, grant that when we hear his voice, we may know him, who calls us each by name and follow where he leads, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, forever and ever. Amen. reading comes from Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 5. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many were of the family of the high priests, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, 
filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men, by which we must be saved. The word of the Lord. This morning's psalm is Psalm 23. We'll read by the asterisk. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. This morning's second reading comes from the book of 1 John, chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth, And shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Now we who keep keeps his now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him and by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us the word of the lord The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. John. St. John, chapter 10, beginning in verse 11. 
I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay my life down, that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. The Gospel of the Lord. May be seated. Let's open with a word of prayer. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be always acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. So if you were here worshiping with us this morning, I just wanted to make one note. That's the power of worship in our life. The words that they speak shape our prayers The words that they sing shape the way that we view God. And I just want to invite you. I was so blessed by the worship this morning. I want to invite you, if you don't make a habit of worshiping God throughout your week, of finding times to listen to worship music and finding times to engage with these formative songs, then you're losing out on an opportunity. And if you have questions about what songs you should be listening to, what albums, blah, 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 Ask these people, because those songs that we sang this morning are awesome, right? I'm going to see a victory. I'm not going to be afraid, because I already know the victory. God's already bought that, right? And we should have our minds shaped by the music we listen to. In fact, I don't think we have a choice but have our minds shaped by the music we listen to. So if you find yourself listening to music that isn't shaping your mind in the most positive direction. I just want to challenge you guys this morning that there is so much that God can do in your heart. And it's such a tool when you're fighting that battle. There's uh, times in my life where I just feel so burdened and uh, overwhelmed and I just throw on a worship song. And trust me when I say the problems don't just go away, but there's a difference when you start to take hold of that truth. And music is one of the most powerful weapons we have to fight that. So I say all that to say our worship team is awesome. And thank you guys. That was so anointed. And I was really blessed this morning. As we begin today, we're going to go from where we've been the past few weeks. The drama of passion, the Passion Week, the crucifixion, the betrayal of Jesus through the hope and the joy of the resurrection. We've just been in this kind of, I don't know the right word, but it's heightened, this time of a heightened sense of the glory of God, of the pain and difficulty that he suffered. We we act out in our liturgy this story every year to remind ourselves and to participate in what Jesus did for us on the cross and with his resurrection and to remind ourselves that we have the victory, that we are a resurrected people. 
So now that we've kind of talked through some of the implications of what that means, now that we've celebrated Easter, what do we do, us resurrected, powerful Christian people? I, it's almost like we should be, you know, in the Captain America movie where you've got the CGI little itty-bitty Steve Rogers. I don't know if any of you guys have seen it, but he's a little scrawny fellow. And then he goes into this machine and he comes out Chris Evans, all buff and ripped and shirtless. I would have shown it, but it felt like it was a little weird, you know, shirtless man on the TVs at church. But the point is that we kind of have invested this theological significance in the fact that we are participating in the resurrection of Jesus. So spiritually, Shouldn't we be this like monumental change from the scrawny guy to the big buff Captain America? Yes and no, right? We should absolutely rest on the fact that Jesus has done something fundamental in us that gives us the victory, that empowers us. But you know how we're referred to in today's gospel? Like sheep. Not quite the same thing. Captain America versus sheep. I know which one I would pick if I was writing the story. But there's a reason for that, right? I call this Sunday Sheep Sunday. I was going to say everybody else calls it that, but I looked it up. Nobody calls it that. I call it Sheep Sunday because I want to remind us not just of the shepherd, but of the fact that we are called to be his sheep. The Bible is actually saturated with this imagery of sheep. You know, there's so many times all we like sheep have gone astray. There's all these images in the Bible where they're talking about the people of God as the sheep and God as the shepherd. And I I think this video that I'm going to show in just a second illustrates very clearly. Actually, Katie can throw it up there. Why the imagery of us as sheep being led by our shepherd is important. There's no sound, but we can all see what's happening here. This is like us in our sin, right? It's like God's pulling us out of the crack. And then we're like, yes, we're a resurrected people. Yeah, we're so great. Oh, well, maybe not so much, right? That's sometimes what Easter feels like. That's the end of the video. You can pull that off. But sometimes what Easter feels like is like we were in the depths and God saved us. And we're like, yes, we're great. We're ready to go. And then boom, we're right back in the ditch. And yeah, that's the Christian life, right? There's this sense in which that is not, it's not an insult to be compared with that sheep. It's just the way things are. It's the way that our life goes. God saves us. He rescues us. We respond with joy and worship and we're hopping around and we go right back into a place where he rescues us again. There's a reason we're compared to sheep in scripture. And the reason is we need a shepherd. In fact, sheep are out of all animals, dumb, self-destructive, stubborn. And unlike most animals you see, if you release them into the wild, they just die. (laughs) They don't, they actually need a shepherd there. There's a reason you don't see roaming packs of sheep on the hills of any of California. But you see like raccoons, they're fine, right? But sheep, no, no, they're not going to last. And so I want to illustrate this. I want to emphasize this as we begin is Sometimes we need a reality check when we look at ourselves. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. And we need to rely on the shepherd and his guidance. So what does it mean to be a resurrected people? It means to be a herd of sheep following our shepherd. So let's talk this morning about the most, what's called the pastoral psalm. Probably the clearest, most beautiful example of what it means to be led by the good shepherd. 
As we turn to Psalm 23, I just want to introduce the idea of the psalm. Sometimes we kind of give the psalms short shrift. We read them in our, our services, but we don't often necessarily preach on them. And so I just want to mention that if you've been reading the psalm like everything else in your scripture, then you're missing out on something because it's a different type of literature. In fact, it's been described as the prayer book of the Hebrew scriptures. So I would advise you, as you read the Psalms, although it does teach us things about the way that God loves us, teaches us things about how we should respond, we should actually be praying the Psalms and not reading them as some sort of theological treatise or some, they're not stories, right? The Psalms are the place where we find out, as we submit ourselves to the prayers of the Psalms, how to relate to God, how to talk to Him face to face. That's the idea of the Psalms. It's not knowing God through a story. It's not knowing God through a commandment. It's about knowing God face to face. So you can actually press into the Psalms, and they span the gamut of human emotion. In fact, there are probably Psalms in there that you'll read, and you'll be like, wow, I don't get this. I don't understand what's going on here. And I just want you to know that's okay. You can lift that up to God and trust that just as Jesus himself would have prayed the Psalms his whole life and been formed by the Psalms, like we talked about in Psalm 22 on the cross, where he's able to reference the depth of pain that he finds in the, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What the Psalms will do is it will give you a language, a prayer language for the depths of your experience and the heights of your experience. And we'll be formed by them insofar as we use them as our prayer book. So I love the Psalms. I just encourage you to think about what that means when you come in the Psalms as you're reading them in the daily office or if you want to even make a practice of praying them. It is a powerful way to be formed. And so we're going to dive into Psalm 23, beginning in verse 1. We all know this Psalm, but I want to pull some things out of it that maybe we haven't thought of before. The Lord is my shepherd. So right away, we stop and we're like, okay, we just talked about the sheep. Now let's talk about the shepherd. I'm struck by the humility of God, constantly referring to himself and allowing himself to be referred to as a shepherd. Because you know what? Shepherds were not that important in the sense of he should have called himself, the Lord is my king, my God who directs me. But no, the Lord is my shepherd. There's something important here. There's an understanding of God's nearness. Right? The shepherd spent every day out with the sheep. It wasn't something where you were far away. You actually, in order to guide sheep, you have to physically push them the way that you want them to go. You have to walk with them. You have to use your staff to prod them and to lead them. It's not like a king directing an army. It's actually a more intimate, physically close thing. The shepherd journeys with the sheep. There's a day-by-day aspect of God walking with us, leading us. Okay. So, uh, the Lord is our shepherd. He's guiding us. He's walking with us day by day. That's the reason that we actually call ourselves um, though that, that's the reason why we call those who lead the church pastors, right? Because pastors actually means shepherd. That's where we get that word. And so the pastor then stands in the place 
of Jesus as our good shepherd, as a representative, as a symbol of Jesus, with that same love and care and nearness. In fact, Bishop Kessler, if you didn't know, is the pastor of this church. And he has his assistant or associate pastors with Father Ed and Father Lewis. And these are people who are here to walk with us, to guide us, to lay down their life for us. The call of the pastor is a heavy burden, as we saw in the gospel, where Jesus says the good shepherd actually is called to lay down his life for the sheep. It's a serious calling, and they have vowed to lay down their life for us in that way. So that's the idea to start with of the Lord as my shepherd. So what does the shepherd do? Well, the next thing we say is, I shall not want. And as a kid, I grew up thinking, I shall not want. I was a pretty rebellious child, as all of you know. And uh, I grew up thinking that I shall not want meant like, I'm not going to want God to be my shepherd, even though he is my shepherd, right? Which is kind of like a real thing, because we really do struggle, and uh, we don't want to submit to God's leadership and guidance often. But what it's actually saying in this scripture is, I shall not want for anything. I won't need anything, because it'll be provided for. And I love the fact that it says, I shall not want, instead of I do not want. This isn't some stoic, ascetic theology where it's like, I have no wants because God is my shepherd and that is enough. It's like, no, 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 no. He has plenty of wants. He's declaring that because God is his shepherd, he will provide. It's declaring a promise of God. And in fact, as we think about Psalms as prayers, that's one of the most powerful aspects of praying the Psalms is it forces us to pray the promises of God for our life, to declare them, to use our promises as our weapons of prayerful warfare, right? We're declaring, the Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. Regardless of where I'm at right now, we declare that we shall not want. And in verse 2, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. So I did some reading about sheep, as one does, and I looked up some videos, and they were talking about what it takes to make a sheep to lie down. And there's one way that you can make a sheep lie down, and that's basically tackling them to the ground and holding them against their will if they have an injury or if they have something that you need to do. But I don't think that's really what he's getting at right here. The other way is you create an environment where there is so much peace where there is such a lack of anxiety that the sheep feel comfortable laying down in the green pastures. We hurtle through our lives at frightening paces in the modern era, just trying to keep up with the demands on our time, socially, spiritually, physically, and otherwise. And yet sometimes we need to be sensitive to the guiding of the shepherd that says, slow down, lie down in the green pasture that I've made for you. It reminds me of the phrase, the grass is always greener on the other side. We kind of live sometimes by that phrase. Well, I've just got to do this one thing so I can get to that next place, that next pasture, that greener area. The grass is greener on the other side. But we can miss what God's created for us right here, right now, right? He makes me to lie down in green pastures that he has led us to, that he's created for us. Don't miss the place that he's calling you to rest and find peace because you're too busy hunting for that next thing, too busy looking for the next way. Or maybe you're just consumed with anxiety and fear. God wants to make you to lie down. He wants to bring you peace. Seek the peace 
of Christ. And one way to press into that is gratitude. Haley and I were watching the show last night about 3D printing houses, which is like the coolest thing, right? They have this big machine and they 3D print with concrete these structures and they think it's going to be a lot faster and cheaper. But the focus wasn't so that some tech guru could have the coolest, newest house technology. It was actually to provide shelter for those who don't have houses. They were pursuing this and pouring billions of dollars into this technology so that they could look to clothe and to shelter those who have nothing. And they showed the story of this family, I believe it was in Honduras, and they're telling the story about how their house, they have these little kind of, they're not really houses, they're just pieces of metal that are hanging up and then canvas. And every time it rains, it just floods their house. And they can't even, the mom's saying, my kids want to run around, my baby wants to crawl around, but I have to hold them all day long because the, there's like six inches of water on the floor. I say all that to say, we should be grateful for what we have, right? Now, it's not, it's not a, hey, nothing's wrong in your life. Look at how bad they have it. Of course, we all face intense difficulties in our life, and we don't want to belittle that. But it, is, it took us a moment. Both Haley and I stopped, and we're like, wow, we need to be grateful for the fact that we are so blessed in our life. That's one way to look for the green pasture that God's given you is to press into gratitude. And then further, he says, he leads me beside the still waters. The symbolism here is, again, of peace, stillness, right? But between these two lines, the green pastures and the still waters, the focus also comes to mind of food and drink, right? Because what, what, what's the point of a green pasture? Well, it's so that the, the sheep could actually eat. And you imagine in a desert climate where you actually have to hunt and search for the food for the sheep. That's a big deal, right? We have to hunt and search for water. That's a huge deal. He leads me besides still waters and green pastures where I can drink and eat. And what does he feed us? Well, he feeds us with the word. He feeds us with his body and blood. And what do we drink of? We drink of the life of his spirit. So I think part of what the psalmist is getting at here is that as you dwell in the word of God, And are led by the Spirit of God, you will find that you're in green pastures and that you're fed by still waters. The Spirit is not frenetic and afraid and chaotic, even though we feel frenetic, afraid, chaotic, frazzled. When we stop for a moment and we invite God's Spirit to come into that moment, He brings stillness and peace. And then, of course, they pushed, he restores my soul. They pushed it into verse 3, but I think it belongs in verse 2. Because I think what happens when God causes us to lie down in green pastures, to eat of the the food of his word, to drink from the living water of his spirit, that's when he restores my soul. And if you're continually caught in this momentum of our lives, we can lose out on the restoration that he wants to bring. And then sometimes you get to a point where you just feel so hungry and thirsty spiritually, where you feel so tired because you're just going, 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 and you missed all these green pastures and still waters that God wanted to feed you with along the way. So my encouragement this morning is slow down. Look for the ways that God wants to restore your soul because that's what he does. He makes all things new. And it's not by our strength, right? It's by his strength. When we are weak, he is made strong in us. This is crucial. We don't want to miss the restoration that God has for us. And then we move on in verse 3. He leads me in the path of righteousness 
for his namesake. So what does David mean for his namesake? This is an interesting one, right? Because we often think that our righteousness is to make God happy with us. That he had a program that he set up for us. And if we follow the program, then God gets a reward because, yay, his good little children are doing what he wants them to do. But it doesn't say that. It says it's actually for his name's sake that he wants to lead us in righteousness. What does that mean? Well, Rowan, my three-year-old, if you ask him what the name of his little brother is, his little baby brother, Reese, he says, Reese Gilbert Harris. And he has two names. He's also Reesey Pooh. And so he, like, has this all figured out, right? He's got the names. So why did we name our baby Reese Gilbert Harris? Because Gilbert is the name of my wife's grandfather who passed away last year. An awesome man of God till the day he died. And now Reese has his namesake, right? So what does that mean? How does that tie into the psalm? I'm going off and I'm just telling you my family history. No, it's because we actually, Reese Gilbert Harris, that's right, Rowan. And so what happened is we want our son Reese to represent his grandfather and to continue that legacy. But who is the namesake of the Lord? It's Christians. What does Christian mean? It means little Christ, like little Christ running around, little Jesuses. That's the idea. We actually bear the name of God. We are the people who are called by his name. So when he wants us to walk in the path of righteousness, it's for his namesake. It's for us to carry on his legacy in the world. Because you know what? There's nothing better for us than to be representatives of Christ to the world. We can be really selfish about it. It's like if you want to be selfish, then die for everybody else because there's nothing better you can do. Right? I don't mean physically, but I mean lay down your life for one another. It's the most joy-filled, peaceful experience that you will have as you grow into it. And man, there are hard things, but it makes your life worth it and good when you live for the namesake that you've been given. So he leads us in the path of righteousness for his namesake. And how does he do that? Does he come around like almost like a shepherd with a stick, whacking the sheep into line? No, that's not how he does it, right? The Lord wants to lead you to lie down in green pastures, lead you beside the still waters, restore your soul, and in so doing, he leads you on the path of righteousness. All of this, the feeding with the word, the drawing on the still water of his spirit, restoring our soul is what transforms us so that we can live on the path of righteousness. He's not a taskmaster. His, as, he, as Jesus told us, right, take my yoke upon you and learn from me because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's really good news. And furthermore, let's keep going. So it's interesting. What the psalmist is doing here is he's creating this picture of God. He's revealing. He's tearing back, in my, my words, the fabric of reality to show us who God is and how he relates to us. And so, of course, if all you've gotten is so far is like, well, God's good, but that's not what I experience in my day-to-day life. And he goes, well, let me take you there. How does God respond to us in the valley of the shadow of death? When we're not feeling those green pastures, when we're not drinking from the still waters, when we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And you can imagine in this desert culture, an empty valley, barren of all life. And he's leading these sheep through and they're thinking, when are we going to get food? When are we going to get water? The valley of the shadow of death. And he says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
Now, this is probably the most quoted line in all of this psalm, and there's a reason for it. It speaks poetically to an experience that we have in the world, but it can only be understood in light of the psalm that came before it. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you don't read Psalm 22 and all you ever read is Psalm 23, you miss a crucial part of our experience because you could read this and say, somebody comes to you and they're like, man, I'm just, I I don't know what to do. I'm desperate. I'm depressed. I'm anxious. Everything is falling apart around me. And you go, yeah, God's with you. Don't be afraid. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it's fine. God's with you. Don't be afraid. But that's not what we're called to do. In fact, what Jesus did was he actually entered into that place. He went through the, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And now we know that even in the valley of the shadow of death, God doesn't forsake us. Not because he felt it, not because on the cross, Jesus felt this nearness to God. And so he had no fear, but because he stood on the promise in the cross and he was redeemed and resurrected. So we hold on to this, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, not because it feels good to say the words, but because it is our only hope that we have nothing to fear because God is with us, right? It's really deep inside of us. Even Rowan, uh, in the past year, he's had a couple times where he's woken up in the middle of the night scared because there's a crocodile in his bedroom. I don't know where the crocodile imagery came from, but that's like his thing. He's like, there's a crocodile over there, Dad. But you know what? When I'm there... He's no longer afraid. He just wants me to stay there. It's when I leave, all of a sudden, he's like the presence of the Father is what comforts him, what causes him not to fear any evil, because he knows that I'll protect him from the crocodile. If it was a real crocodile rowing, I don't know how that would go. But there's something there where it's like the presence of the Father protects us from evil, and we can hold on to that hope in the midst of even the difficulty. We're not dismissing the valley of the shadow of death. We're saying, even there, God is with you, and you can hold on to that reality And fight your fear with that. As Archbishop Adler used to say, magnify God, not the problem. One more note on this line. God leads us through the valley of the shadow of death, right? It's super counterintuitive in our culture of helicopter parenting and hover mother. You know, it's like, keep them from all danger. Like, we can can make a realm where everything is peaceful and good for our children. And if we just, you know, take away all their liberty, then we can just... Keep them safe. Put them in a padded room. That's kind of the the idea of our culture. Or even as we fought COVID, it's like if we just kept everybody separate and nobody saw each other, then COVID would go away and we'd all be safe in our little homes. It's like that's not how God operates. I'm not making a political statement about how that was treated. I'm making a statement about who God is and how we're called to live in the world. We're called to follow God into the valley of the shadow of death as he leads us. Because we can hold on to the fact that he will go there with us, that he has gone there with us. I heard, okay, I've got to say this because it was awesome. Stephen shared at home group something that he had heard from Father Jim Younts. Father Jim says sometimes to people, when did God solve your problem? 2,000 years ago. And all of a sudden that clicked in my mind. It's like, oh, that's so true. I've never heard it put that way. When did God solve the problem that you're facing right now? He solved it on the cross. He has gone to the valley of the shadow of death. He has bought the victory for us. We are going to see a victory and we can walk from that knowledge. Okay, let's move on. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What are your enemies this morning? Is it addiction, anger, anxiety, depression, fear? Jealousy, comparison, 
Do any of those strike a chord in your heart? God wants to prepare a table before you in the presence of those enemies. We participate in that in the Eucharist. You can bring those things before him in the Eucharist. And what is it saying? Because there's this interesting dichotomy where we think like, well, if God's there, then he should just slay all my enemies, right? Why wouldn't he? Because he'd rather feed you with what you need to conquer your enemies. He'd rather build you up that you can walk in the victory that he bought for us, right? So why does God prepare a table instead of just wiping everybody out? Because he wants you to be the one who walks in the victory with him. He wants to bring you along. It's actually better than what we think should happen. There are people in this room who believe that there's no hope for them to overcome their sin. There's something that nags at them that feels shameful and burdensome. I know because I've been there. There's something that you think, man, God could never solve this problem. Or maybe it's a bigger thing where like, I'm just worthless. I just am not good enough. That Christianity thing works for all those other people because they're better than I am. And I'm here today to tell you that that is a lie from the pit of hell. That the truth is that God will give you what you need to go into victory. That it's by his strength, by his power, by what he did on the cross. Don't make the cross of no effect in your life by giving up the hope. You can hope on the blood of Jesus that sets you free. He can walk you through that. And you know what? He is a patient God. Just like that sheep that kept falling in that crevice. Do you think that those people who pulled that sheep out said, oh, he fell again. It's not worth it. No, they went back and they got him out again. You can see it at the end. They're walking over there with the strap to pull the sheep out. God is so patient with us. He knows our weakness. He remembers that we are but dust. But he will see you to the victory. The work that he has begun in you, he will see to completion. Further, he, we move on and it kind of changes direction a little bit here. And it says, you anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. So what's the point? It's like, you know, what anointing symbolizes is the power of God to accomplish the calling that he's called you to. It's like David was anointed to be king of Israel. Why did David have authority to be king of Israel? Because the power of God was on him and is anointed. Why do you have the power to be whatever God's called you to be? Because the power of God's anointing that's upon you. He will give you the power to accomplish what he's called you to. But there's a responsibility that goes with that. There's a call where David had to walk it out. He had to become king of Israel and all of the pain that came with that transition. And not only that, but when you walk in the call of God by the power that he's placed in you, then your cup runs over and your family and your friends and your community experience the blessing of God on your life. You know, there's certain people in your life, and I bring them up often because it's important to remember. There's people in your life where you're like, I just like being around that person. There's something that they do that blesses me. Like, man, I see them and they just love people well. They're successful in what God's called them to do and they just overflow with the love of God. That is what it means. Your cup runs over. God is more than abundant in the way that he provides for us, in the way that he gives us what we need. There's always more than enough with God. And as we finish up with this last verse, probably my favorite of the whole scripture Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We sing that worship song recently 
uh, the goodness of God. And it says, your goodness is running after me. There's something powerful about that. The goodness and the mercy of God pursues us. It's not that we have to earn our way to the goodness and mercy of God, but it actually runs after us, follows us all the days of our life, and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's the ultimate promise of this psalm, is that when it's all said and done, when you look back on your life, what you're going to see from the perspective of eternity is the mercy and the goodness of God that pursued you every day of your life and an invitation to be in the house of the Lord forever. It's something that Bishop always says. Since he accepted Christ, since he entered the kingdom of God, every day of his life has been better than the days when he was running from God. There's a goodness that we can hold on to in our life. It doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean it isn't hard. It doesn't mean we just skip over Psalm 22 and, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It doesn't mean we ignore the crucifixion, but it means we hold on to the hope of resurrection. It means that we actually live from that perspective. In that song that we sang this morning, it switches and it says, um, you never fail, you never will. I'll trust your name for the greater things. And it says, uh, oh man, I can't remember the words. Okay, this is what it says though. These aren't the exact words. I'd love to get it exact. It says, I'm going to see this problem from the perspective of the victory, right? That's the concept is we actually... Look at our life, our difficulties, our problem from the perspective that it's already been won. That there's already a solution. So what does it mean to be resurrected sheep? It means to rely wholly on the power of God in our life. To follow where he leads. To hold on to his presence that he guarantees in us. And to see our cups run over with the anointing and the love of God as we go about his work in the world. Ultimately, it means we get to live in the house of the Lord forever. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's say together the Nicene Creed, which is the basis of our faith. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven, and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again, according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and is seated on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. And I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let's pray for the church and for the world. Father, we pray for your holy Catholic Church, that we all may be one. 
Grant that every church, sorry, every member of the church may truly and humbly serve you. We pray for all bishops, priests, and deacons. That they may be faithful ministers of your word and sacraments. We pray for all who govern and hold authority in the nations of the world. That there may be justice and peace on the earth. Give us grace to do your will in all that we undertake. That our works may find favor in your sight. Have compassion on those who suffer from any grief or trouble. That they may be delivered from their distress. Give to the departed eternal rest. Let light perpetual shine upon them. We praise you for your saints who have entered into joy. May we also come to share in your heavenly kingdom. All this we ask in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. As we prepare to celebrate the mystery of Christ's love, let us acknowledge our sins and ask the Lord for pardon and strength. Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart, and I have not loved my neighbors as myself. I am truly sorry, and I humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me, that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord grant you absolution, remission of all your sins, true repentance, amendment of life, and the grace and consolation of his Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. The peace of the Lord be always with you. With your spirit. Turn and greet your neighbor with the peace of God. Do we have any announcements? Uh... Yeah, we have a couple of announcements. Good. A little bit of the battle of the sexes here at church. For some ah. We have a men's meeting and we have a women's meeting coming up in May. Uh, the, the men's meeting is going to be on May 1st, and we're going to meet at 9 a.m. This is going to be a work day again. Uh, we're going to be cleaning up the, uh, the bird sanctuary back here, cleaning up oh, some of the trees boy. and all that. So get your gardening. Uh, we we should ready. only lose one or two people in that yeah, deal. Yeah, there we might find a couple. It's too. I don't yeah, know. it's like the body snatchers. <laughs> yeah. there's this heavy growth back there in the canyon, and oh yeah, it just swallows you up. Okay, and then on May seventh, uh, there's going to be an evening uh, women's praise and worship meeting. Uh, I believe here at church, but yep. uh, see Mia. Or Debbie about that, if you have any questions. Awesome. Um, one thing I wanted to say, Sunday school. We're going to get the band back together. So those of you who have been involved in Sunday school, those of you who want to be involved in Sunday school, come talk to me. I'm believing God that we can get this thing back going again. Um, but I don't have all the energy and willpower to do it myself. No, <laughs> you don't. So anyway, those are, those are the announcements. Please participate uh, coming up here in May. Amen. Amen. That'll be good. 
I've been asked occasionally about Sunday school, and uh, COVID won't stop us. We're going to come back in every possible way, bigger and better than ever before. Amen. Because we're in charge of the devil. (laughs) It's true. As we prepare to celebrate, sorry, to receive the body and blood of Christ in the Eucharist, let us respond to God's word by engaging with him in musical worship and presenting to God our tithes and offerings out of that which God has given to us. Together, through Christ, let us continually offer to God the sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. But do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God.
baptized believers to, to receive the body and blood of Christ. This is the table of the Lord. It's made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, if you have much faith, if you have little, if you've been here often, or if you haven't been here long. If you've tried to follow, even if you failed, you come because it's the Lord who invites you. It's his table. And it's his will that those people who want to meet him, she meet him right here, come this morning and receive for the Lord. Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Father, our powerful and ever-living God, we do well always and everywhere to give you thanks through Jesus Christ our Lord. We praise you with greater joy than ever in this Easter season when Christ became our Paschal sacrifice. He's the true Lamb who took away the sins of the world, and by dying he destroyed death, and by rising he restored our life. And so with all the choir of angels in heaven, we proclaim your glory, and we join in their unending hymn of praise. Let your Holy Spirit come upon these gifts to make them holy, so they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Before he's given up to death, the death he freely accepted, he took bread, he gave you thanks, he gave it to his disciples, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When supper was ended, he took the cup, and again he gave thanks and praise. He gave it to them, and he said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of a new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Let us proclaim this mystery of faith. Christ, Christ has died. died. Christ, Christ is, is risen. risen. And Christ, Christ will come again. again. In memory of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Father, this life-giving bread, this saving cup, 
We thank you for counting us worthy to stand in your presence and to serve you. May all of us who share in the body and blood of Jesus be brought together in unity by the Holy Spirit. Lord, remember your church throughout the world and make us grow in love together with our patriarch Craig and all of our clergy. Remember especially those who are sick or infirm in spirit, soul, or body. We hold up this day Connie and Susan and Carl and Serena and Naomi, Nadia, Kyle and Sonja and Marie, Sandra, Karen, Tammy, Kyla, Jason, Littler family, Morgan, Scott, David, Gavin, Luke, Sam, Jean, and our Marines and sailors. Draw our hearts to remember the poor and the broken as we receive the body and blood of Jesus. May we be transformed to become the body of Christ to the world. Have mercy on us all. Make us worthy to share eternal life with the apostles and martyrs and the saints who have gone before us. May we praise you in union with them and give you glory through your Son, Jesus Christ. By him and with him and in him in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty God and Father now and forever. Amen. Jesus taught us to call God our Father, and we have courage. We pray. Our Father, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah, Christ, our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Hallelujah. O Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy upon us. O Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy upon us. O Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Grant us thy peace. The gifts of God for the people of God, take them in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on them in your heart with thanksgiving. Blessed are those who are called to the supper of the Lamb. Amen. The body of our Lord.
continue to be uh, hounded by this uh, COVID madness, uh, be sure and keep all your friends and your neighbors in prayer as you hear about people who uh, become infected or uh, may be in uh, some danger of being infected. You know, we have the victory. That's what I love about the message. That's the message. The message is Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. <laughs> Satan throws all this stuff, but not, none of it can stick. Greater is he that's within me than he that's within the world, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But it's so important. I think that God allows these things, uh, these pandemics and, and such, to, uh, to awaken the church, to pray for each other, to see our compassion rise, and see our level of commitment to each other expanded. And so, just because you've been fortunate, take the time to bear the burden of your brothers and your sisters out there who may not have been as fortunate as you. And I think uh, if you do, you'll grow tremendously through this whole pandemic time. It won't just be lost time. I don't want to just, I just don't want to have a year or two of my life just lost. But I want it to be a time of enrichment and growth just like any other time in my life. Eternal God, Heavenly Father, you graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And you have fed us with spiritual food in the sacrament of his body and blood. Send us now into the world in peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you. 
with gladness and singleness of heart, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Say, Michael, the archangel, defend us in the battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who wander through the world, seeking the ruin of our souls. As you go out from this place, remember the gospel. God is in Christ Jesus, reconciling the world himself, not counting men's sins against him. He loves us. He's forgiven us. He's not mad at us. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be amongst you. Remain with you always. Amen. Amen. Find me here in your